Good morning, Mr. Chris Yelland, our energy expert to KFM Mornings. Hello, Chris. Good morning, good morning to you and all. Hello, Chris. Whenever we phone you, we're looking for a bit of, for a little light at the end of the tunnel. Even though load shedding has snuffed that light out, we come to you for give us something. Give us something. There's, there's so many conflicting stories here. This politician says we must prepare for six months. This one says 18 months. That one says two years. We don't know where to turn. We don't know what's happening. But you do. What's happening, Chris? Good morning. Good morning. And yes, I, I want to give some light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you. We must not fall into a feeling of helplessness that there is nothing to be done or can be done about the problem. Mm-hmm. South Africa is an absolute outlier. There are very, very few countries in the world that experience the kind of extended load chilling at the levels we experience. Um, there are just very few of such countries anywhere in the world. So uh, South Africa is an exception, and it speaks to the fact that there is something that can be done. Other countries get it right. We can get it right, too. We've just got to do the right thing for a long time and reverse the situation. And, and feelings of helplessness are completely misplaced. We must not accept this as the new normal. We must rage and rage against the dying of the light. Mm. Now, okay, I love that. I love that vibe. But now the reality is the day-to-day. So they've now said uh, prepare for the next two years uh, to dabble between stage three and four. We don't believe anything ESCOM says. So what what should we believe here? Um, we heard we've experienced a lot of uh, level six and we've heard those doomsday threats of level eight and total blackout. What is the possibility? Okay, first of all, you should not believe the chairman of ESCOM when he says uh, they are thinking about stage two to stage three load shedding on a continuous basis for two years. You should believe the outgoing CEO of ESCOM, Andre Dereta, when he says that it's quite likely that there will be significantly higher levels of load shedding than stage two and three, and there may be times of even lower or even no load shedding. That is completely unpredictable. The breakdowns are random, and uh, the best that they can say is that this is not a quick fix. It's going to have to require that South Africa does the right thing for a long time. And that is the fact. Um, Nobody can tell us in the next week, what load shedding is going to be. It's completely wrong for the chairman of ESCOM to stand up and tell us, you know, that they're thinking of stage two to three continuously for the next two years because that is usurping the role of the system operator at ESCOM National Control in Simapan who's tasked with the job of balancing supply and demand to avoid a national backout. And for the chairman to who knows nothing about the details and operations of the system operator, to interfere in the independent work of the system operator, it's just not on. And it's, it, it's, uh, it would be completely wrong to put uh, you know, the, the level of <laughs> in the hands of the chairman of the ESCOM or even the CEO of ESCOM or any politician uh, whatsoever. There's a good reason why national control is operated independently by experts. Now, now, Chris, so how many uh, megawatts, um, those big load shedding watts, 
How many of those does the Western Cape use? Do you, do you have any idea? Are we on... I don't know exactly. I would have to do a bit of research to establish, uh, you know, what, what percentage of South Africa's electricity demand is the Western Cape. Uh, but it's not insignificant. Uh, the Western Cape is uh, one of the major hubs of South Africa. There are other hubs like um, uh, like uh, Port Elizabeth area, Nelson Mandela Bay, uh, Durban, Efequini, uh, you know, the, the whole Johannesburg uh, metro and uh, Ekurleni and Chwani as a, as a sort of group. Uh, and these are the major hubs of South Africa. Um, but it's a very significant amount. And um, we know that in the Western Cape, they are putting their minds to trying to reduce their dependence on Eskom. And I think that's a good thing. That is not to say they're trying to declare independence and trying to go off the grid from Eskom. That's not the case. They're looking to supplement the energy needs to introduce some diversity uh, and to reduce the over-dependence on a single failing electricity supplier. Now, Chris, I want to know, so I know that the Western Cape government and the private business are all trying to plug stuff in, develop stuff, do all of this so that we can be in- independent of Eskim, all right? No, not, not independent. That's the wrong word. Reduce their dependency. Yeah, that's the right word. Yeah, that's what we'd say just so that they can sign it off. You know what I mean? But we want to be off grid from Eskim. We really do. No, no, you're not going to go off grid. Believe you me. No, we will if we could. If we could, we will. I'm not going off grid. What I'm going to do, I'm going to supplement my energy needs by putting in solar rooftop PV and battery storage so that I'm not totally dependent on city power Johannesburg and that I can reduce my cost and improve my, my uh, continuity of supply right through load shedding, but I'm not giving up <laughs> my grid <great> connection. <laughs> so that's what we tell the politicians, just to them to feel like not like a threat, all right? What are the chances if we can get all these big turbines and mines and private industry that can that have a lot of excess power that uh, the city can buy off of them and we will, won't have load shedding. Um, what is the chances of whoever needs to sign it off will sign it off? Because Andre Dureta said the other day, he said, it would be fantastic if ESCOM does become energy independent, if, if Cape Town does become energy independent, he says, because it will save them actually a lot of money. Because the amount they're burning in diesel right now is exorbitant. Yeah. Look, he did not say that he welcomes uh, Western Cape or City of Cape Town from, to become energy independent, independent. That he didn't say. What he did say is he welcomes, uh, you know, the city and the province supplementing the energy needs because it will help reduce the demand on Eskom and the whole country. It will help lower and it will be good for the city and good for the province. And it will also be good for Eskom and it will be good for the whole country because it will reduce the demand yeah. on Eskom and thereby reduce load shedding for the whole country. So, mm. and, and this applies uh, all over the country because uh, domestic and commercial and small industrial manufacturing and farming, if we all start supplementing our energy needs, not going off the grid, but supplementing our energy needs, it will help <laughs> us. And it will help Eskom and it will help the whole country. And that's the way we should be thinking. Supplement. I like that word. Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) (laughs) And now, Chris, uh, you mentioned South Africans doing, you know, if we do the right things over a period of time, we can get ourselves out of this hole. In an ideal world, how long would that take? (laughs) 
Well, it depends on how uh, you know how much we do the right things. And I must say, I don't know if you read the president's uh, statement yesterday. No, I couldn't be bothered. First time, yeah. Well, no, but for the first time, he recognizes the critical role that customers that are installing solar PV and battery storage. And I'm talking about small customers, houses, and, and, and uh, commercial and, and small businesses, etc. That in aggregate, thousands and thousands of such uh, businesses and individuals right, can actually make a bigger contribution than some of the biggest projects. Yeah. And they can make it quickly at no cost to the country, at no cost to the taxpayer, at no cost to the fiscus. They make it at their own costs, in their own interest, and it is a good business proposition. It saves money, number one. It, um, uh, it, it, it increases your security of supply and enables you not to be disrupted by load shedding. Number two, it helps reduce your carbon footprint. It's good uh, for South Africa, who's trying to become net carbon zero by 2050. It's, it's, uh, and, and the president has finally recognized that this is a very important component of um, of reducing load shedding going forward. You see, what I think it is, is that that monopoly that they were trying to hold on forever, now we're at a stage where businesses are closing, so now they're desperate. Now they're coming and saying, yes, please, can you... You see what they're doing in the UK, right? They've got an energy crisis there too. They've turned to coal and um, some because of the war, whatever. But the what they're doing in the UK now, to avoid load shedding, because they were mm-hmm. going to start having load shedding, Mm-hmm. They said, okay, help us help you. Can you go and turn off your power between 6 and 7 tomorrow night and we'll give you 20 pounds? Well, I don't know if you saw that no, story. Yeah, I did, certainly. It's called demand market participation, where you actually pay people and compensate them for switching off, number one. And you can also pay people and compensate them for running their own generators uh, into the grid or switching off and, run and operating off your own generators, you will incur some costs like diesel, etc. And if you compensate people, uh, uh, people will uh, be pleased uh, to to go off the grid. No, uh, you know they'll be pleased to switch off and operate their their, their, their generators because they're being compensated. And the compensation that you pay may be quite expensive. Mm. But it's a lot less expensive uh, than load shedding the whole country. Mm. Now, now, Chris, also. How much sabotage do you think is going on right now um, at, at all these places? Uh, I, I, I don't know if you... it's, it's hard to be specific, uh, but it is a, a component and a part of the problems that we experience. It's far from being the only uh, a contributory factor, but it is a contributory factor. It's almost impossible for me to give you figures of... Uh, you know, uh, you know, more, more categoric figures because by its very nature, this is, um, uh, you know, uh, hard to prove. Uh, it's not done out in the open. Uh, and, 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 and therefore, uh, and, and also we don't know actually what has been reported to the police because, uh, uh, you know, when Eskom reports the matter to the police, they don't want to, uh, necessarily disclose their hand to everybody. They want the police to be able to investigate. So we, we don't have a clear, Picture, but we do know that it's not an insignificant part of the whole thing. To the extent where the army was deployed to a number, number of power stations, I mean, that just gives you an indication uh, that behind the scenes, something very serious is going on. Yeah, something very sort of sinister. And it's about exactly. time, too. Is the army still deployed to all our uh, power plants? Not to all of them, to about six of them. 
Okay. And do they surround this and not let anybody in and anybody out? This is like, like in America, the Department of Energy has a sniper team, all ex Navy SEALs and Delta Force operatives. Yeah, I've seen the movies. Nah, Chris. Chris. Nah, 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 Chris. That's not Hollywood. That's legit. They have, they, they protect their energy. This was not in the last Top Gun, Chris. They protect, they protect their energy because it is of such great importance, which makes absolute sense. They have all these ex special force guys that, that work for the Department of Energy. And if you come anywhere near there with a threat to do anything, they're going to snipe you. Bottom line, not movie stuff. In South Africa, I think we probably have about a platoon of soldiers, uh, you know, sort of walking around. I don't know what exactly they do. Uh, no, we got a guy I, at Eskom. It does send a signal, you know, it does send a signal, and maybe they are standing at the gate, checking people going in and out and keeping an eye on it and put, putting a sort of a dampener on the spirit of the criminals. Um, of course, the criminals are quite innovative. They think of ways around Chris, you know what uh, we've got at, at, uh, at Eskom there, at all our pal, at Madupi? You've got a guy there in a little uh, wooden hut with a book that you must sign in and put your number plate, even if it's wrong because you can't remember, you just write any number plate. Or you say, hey, just, just write it in when I drive off. Time of entry. Who are you coming to see? Oh, it's private. And um, he's got a torch and a whistle, and that's as far as our security goes. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember that article recently? And he moves, he moves the orange cone, and then you can drive through, and then he puts the orange cone back. Now you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. In I mean, America, the, the story? it's impregnable. Do you, the story? do you remember the story of the guy? He was testing the system at Kuburg, our only nuclear power station. Obviously, something that should enjoy the highest levels of protection because, uh, and, and he was able to just walk into through, or drive through the gate. He sort of didn't have his appointment uh, date or he didn't even know who he was going to see, but he talked his way through the gate, and he was roaming around this, the Kubrick site, having a look at all things in Sunday. It was well reported in the media about, I think, about a year ago. Uh, and and <laughs> it's not what you would have, it's not uh, what you would want, I'm sure. At a nuclear power plant, exactly. At a nuclear power plant, a very strategic, uh, you know, strategic uh, plant uh, uh, that, that should enjoy the highest levels of security and safety. Like the Navy SEALs of America with the departments. <laughs> Chris, I know you don't have all the answers because you are also have to work stuff out. Um, but thank you for for trying to bring some balance here and say it's not all doom and gloom. So maybe two years we'll be out of the woods. Maybe two years. Yeah, I, I, I think if we do the right thing um, and, and really harness the resources of society, uh, uh, of South Africa, of ESCOM, um, and, and the capabilities that we have, and supplement them also with other people's skills and experience supplement. around the world, I think we can resolve this problem. I do think so. Well, we have to. That's the bottom line. Chris Yellen, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Cool. Ciao. Bye, Chris. Ta-ta. <laughs> All right. There we go. Um, yeah, we still don't know anything, do we? <laughs> I don't know. We just... Bit of this, bit of that, some of this, some of that. Mm. I wonder if chatting to Chris helped some people stop packing their bags and leaving. Because I know the energy crisis is like... 
it's so huge that people are thinking of I'm done with South Africa. You yeah, know, I'm sure. I'm gonna go look for other options. The thing is Does that kind of ease your mind a little bit? The thing is, it has to be fixed. Mm-hmm. That's without yeah. question. It has to be fixed. Yeah. And dunno. I have faith that it will. It's just that timeline that I'm looking for an answer to. Yeah.